0: Hello and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Laura. I'm here with Jerry and Stacy. Jerry, I'm getting hungry. What's our appetizer for today?
0: Today, Laura, it's going to be great. We have the eminent, famous... Educator, scholar, Dr. Seuss. All right, I'm ready. You for know this. Dr. Seuss.
1: I know, I know, I, I know. Pop do- on pop. That's okay. one of my well, favorites. I,
0: here's what he said: It's better to know how to learn than to know. That's an important thing for us to think about, though. Is it better to know how to learn than to know? Because if we're going to talk about self-directed learning, it's all about knowing how to learn.
2: When I think about learning something for myself, you know, I go to YouTube, I look stuff up on Google. Learners need more than that, right?
0: I don't know. If you got YouTube, you can do a lot. Just last week, I had to put together a bike, and I had to hook up the wires for like gears and brakes. You know where I went? Because the YouTube. instructions were pretty meager that I got with the bike. <laughs> I went to YouTube, and you know what? I figured it out from YouTube. So yeah, I, I we've got resources like that. But that's not really teaching you how to learn. It's, it's a resource. It's a great resource. True, true, I identified a knowledge gap, considered resources I could go to, and I don't know any guys who build bikes. So I went to YouTube and asked the question, and there it was. But YouTube can only do so much, right?
2: We want our learners in health professions to be lifelong learners. I mean, if we think about the ACGME and LCME and the CODRA from the dental accreditation body, it says right there. Yeah, so it's be not teaching. just we
0: it's not just that we like it that it's a good idea. Our accrediting bodies mandate that we teach them and show how we are teaching and prove that they are in fact self-directed learners.
1: So I think I'm ready for the main course. So how can we as faculty teach our learners to be self-directed?
2: Let's define what self-directed learning is, or what I like to say, SDL. Think about SDL. It's a learner-centered process. It is not teacher-directed, because a teacher-directed situation is where the educator is telling the learner what to learn and how to learn. So the learner has to be able to identify a knowledge gap identify this goal, this is the knowledge gap I need to fill. And then generally, they have to figure out what are the steps for me to get from point A to point B
1: to fill this hole. So the learner is doing a lot of the steps that the educator would traditionally do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because after they figure out the steps, then they got to think about how's best for me to learn it. And then finally, be willing, open minded enough to reach out for support if they need some more help.
0: In this case, you just outlined a lot of work for a learner to identify the gap, identify the steps, work on learning those steps to be able to get from where they are to where they need to be. That is usually not the case in my experience, at least in my work as a physician educator in our system.
2: There's a reason for that. When you think about our learners, it's important for us to realize where they've come from, whether or not they're in medical school or dental school or some other professional school. Their world, education-wise, up to the time they get through undergraduate has been very, very teacher-directed. You have to take this course to get this degree. You have to pass this course as a prerequisite. It's very directed as to what they have to do the faculty tells them how to do it and then gives them the assessment to make sure they knew how to do it. Most of the time, they're not getting into true self-directed learning opportunities until some trainee, till they get into residency and then a fellowship and then after that.
0: So there's a continuum, as I understand, from teacher-directed all the way to self-directed, but there must be a middle part, right? There's a middle step. You can't jump from 16 years the teacher told me what I needed to know and how to do it. And then all of a sudden, Stacey, there's a f- switch that I flipped. And now I'm this rounded, mature, self-directed learner. It can't <laughs> possibly happen that way, does not No.
2: In this continuum, as we move towards self-directed, the, the thing in the middle that we talk about is directed self-directed learning. So the educator is directing the content, but a lot of times the learner decides how to go about it.
1: So the educator is setting up some objectives, setting up maybe an activity or a really like active learning experience to get to a certain point, hopefully... But the learner is really responsible for how to get there and figuring out how to get to that endpoint.
0: You got it. And the really hard part for the faculty member is staying out of the fray, yes. right? <laughs> Set it all up and then step back, and then don't say anything for a long time. So I, I've watched team-based learning and problem-based learning sessions yes. at, at other institutions. The hardest part is for the faculty member to sit on the side and not engage because it's all set up and and it's run by the students or residents, whoever's in that group, and their job is to follow uh, a certain format They have to define learning objectives. They have to assign them to each other. They have to sketch out what are they not gonna try and cover and what what will they cover? And then come back a few days later and then report out on those learning objectives to the whole group. And all the work was done by that group of of students or residents. So let's review maybe the specific characteristics of SDL. We've talked about teacher directed, directed self-learning, and now self-directed. So in that category, Tell me what you see as the characteristics of SDL. What does it look like? If a faculty member's watching it, what do they see? One thing I said much earlier, and that was
2: the whole idea about being learner-centered. So some of the things you talked about with PBL, so the learner is making the decisions. And then another uh, characteristic is there's some flexibility, flexibility or the learner says, okay, I need to learn about what's going on with this patient. I don't need to pay attention to the concepts here. I think I have this. And also the flexibility of how they go about learning that. Am I going to go to this resource or that? Am I going to go to this video? Some flexibility in gaining that new knowledge. So you're saying that
1: the learner has choice. 100%. 100%.
0: But what if they make a mistake choosing the wrong YouTube video or the wrong venue to go to <laughs> to figure something out? Is that okay?
2: It is okay, because that's part of the learning experience. They are learning how to find the resources. They're learning how to uh, critique those resources. Is this the best resource for this particular situation?
1: So not only are they responsible for identifying their own gaps, they're responsible for developing their own objectives. They're also responsible for evaluating the quality of the resources that they're using.
2: It's really the learner's responsibility to take ownership, to do these processes, these learning strategies, and they have to be empowered to do it. Faculty have to empower the learner to go about these processes. That brings me back to the idea that Our learners don't know this, and we need to provide them this information, that they are responsible for this, and these are the things that you need to be thinking about. So we're
0: responsible not only for talking to them about self-directed learning and and maybe even demonstrating it, how we use self-directed learning, but as I understand the accreditation guidelines, we have to teach them how to be lifelong self-directed learners. It's not just to get through this rotation you're on. This is for the next 40 years. You're going to have to be a self-directed learner because you won't have instructors and faculty around you if you're in, in a practice setting. You're going to have to decide what don't I know and how do I get to where I need to figure it out and what steps are there. This is all up to you. That's why this is so important. That they be able to do it. And they don't just graduate from medical school and they sort of know, or they finish their residency and they sort of know. They might have a glimmer of it, but they have had to have practiced it during medical school and residency to have any hope when they get out of being good at it because that's how they're going to learn. It's a skill. And I
2: know I've said this more than once on this show. Since it is a skill, it requires practice. And so our learners need practice being self-directed so that they can continue that process once they get out of their training.
0: This leads us to the natural next question. If it's that important that they do this transition from teacher-directed to self-directed, and if it's that important for accrediting of the school and for the residency programs, and if it's that important for their lifelong practice, how do we promote self-directed learning skills?
1: This sounds like a sweet treat. Are we ready for the dessert?
0: Uh, is this sure. going to be dessert? It I could be. So. It could be.
1: One of the easiest ways faculty can
2: promote SDL is to actually talk about it. They experience a situation on the wards or in the clinic and they don't know the answer. They need to say to the learners with them, "Gosh, I don't know how this process works. This is new to me. Let's go look at it. Let's look this up. This is the resource I would use. Let's see how this works. Be willing to be vulnerable and tell them you don't know everything.
1: And I think even just showing that process and talking about maybe naming it, naming self-directed learning as this is what we're actually doing right now yeah. can just help that awareness that this is a, a process that students should be trying out and learning how to do can be helpful to see that happen more often.
0: So when we're in a clinical setting, we could we could see how this might happen where a, a problem comes up and we need to understand something. We need to go look something up. Let's go do it together because I don't know the answer right now. Right. And we'll go look it up. So that, that models it for them. But we also can be deliberate about this. So it's not just an opportunistic thing. If we're giving a talk, for example, to residents, and and we do these now monthly with the ID group, um, we're giving a talk, we can build into that presentation episodes where we turn to them and say, okay, here's the clinical problem. You guys go into groups of three, find out the answer to this problem. Right. Right now, we come back in five minutes and we talk about what you found. It forces them to acknowledge, if they know, great, then they don't look it up. But if they don't know, they've got to go look for a, a resource that, that, they have to get to pretty quickly, read it, summarize it, and then get back and say, okay, then I think the answer is. And you have to structure it so that it's a fairly simplistic thing, but nonetheless, something that can find, but it forces them to go do it rather than me putting up the next slide that says, here's, here's the, the answer, answer to the problem. And so we can build that in even to small group settings.
2: Help the learner see what their knowledge gaps are. There's a way you can ask the question where then the learner kind of realizes, gosh, I don't know that and so if you can kind of shine a light if you will where the learner can say this is something i really don't know and then you could talk about well to learn more about this what resource would you use and then get them to you know come back or tonight why don't you go learn more about this and then come back and then the next day Ask them what resource did they use to find the answer. And what did they do while they were interacting with that resource?
0: And we use questions all the time. It's a matter of how we do the questions in a safe environment where they they can admit, I don't know. Okay, well then let's figure out how you're going to learn and how you're going to uh, understand this. And the, the other thing we can do is we can encourage them to reflect on what they have learned and, and how did they learn it uh, so that they are deliberate about thinking about Okay, I now know how to do, and a spinal tap. I learned it from well, where, where else? YouTube, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> <And so laughs> I learned yeah. how to do it. <laughs> There's
0: probably a YouTube video on no spinal doubt. taps, right? And so, um, encouraging them to stop for a moment and just reflect on these things, rather than running headlong into problem after problem, as we as we often see in the, in the clinical services. Take a time to pause, even if it's at night. You get home, just think for a second, what did you learn? How did you learn it? And then that helps to lock that in.
2: Learning is work. Learning is hard work.
0: Yes, they are interacting with
2: patients all day, and that experience is important. But there's going to be content gaps, and you need to be deliberate about filling those gaps. The faculty needs to express that information to the trainees so that they hear it. More than, oh, good, you're a self-directed learner now. No, they haven't gotten that yet. There is a rubric that you can use to judge whether or not a learner is in the early stages of learning how to be self-directed all the way to a full-fledged learner that is ready to go off on their own. Is there a rubric for everything?
0: It must be, huh? All things. Oh, All my. things important <laughs> have rubrics.
2: So the rubric really defines what the learner is doing. It defines what the educator is doing. And then it provides you some examples. And so I'll be happy to post this in our show notes, but it kind of goes from where the student is dependent on the educator. Then you've got where the student or learner in our case, interested about this new knowledge, where the educator is trying to be a motivator. Then you've got where the student is really involved and the educator is more of a facilitator of the knowledge. And then the last stage is that self-directed stage where the learner is all in knowing where they want to go, knowing what the information they want to seek is. And then the educator is acting as a consultant.
1: Should we challenge the listeners to try this? Oh, we should always challenge them.
0: Podcasting by definition is a passive activity. And for you to learn, you've got to do something with content. That means you have to actively engage with it. And so if you're just listening to this while you're doing the dishes or mowing the lawn or on your elliptical, that's great. Thank you for listening. But it's not enough. We need you to do something with this. And so I guess the challenge for today would be to decide what are you going to do to help learners first be aware of, to stage their level of Uh, accomplishment in self-directed learning and make a plan for how you're going to get them further on that continuum from teacher-directed to self-directed. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be, as together we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Join us next time for more, and come hungry.